Asian Voices Radio podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Sheena Yap Chan. Our special guest joining us today is Stephen Kang, who is the Director of External Affairs at a nonprofit organization called Koreatown Youth and Community Center in Los Angeles, or in short, KYCC. And we're so excited to have you here today, Stephen. How are you? Uh, maybe we can start with, you know, learning a little bit about where you grew up or if you grew up in Koreatown all your life. So hi, Sheena. It's a pleasure to connect with you today. So thank you so much for the invite. Um, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I was born in South Korea, but came over here with the entire family in 1996. So I was entering fourth grade in elementary school. So technically, I was not raised in K-Town, but I was raised in uh, the city of Glendale in California. And then, but, you know, Koreatown has always been home to pretty much all the Korean Americans, uh, not only in L.A., but throughout the country. And I did move here permanently with uh, my wife and I have a two-year-old daughter. Uh, We have been living here uh, for the past, well, not my daughter for the full time, but me and my wife for the past six years. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And what was that like migrating from South Korea to California in 1996? You know, did was English already something you learned or was it something you had to learn as you migrated to the U.S.? Uh, it was a big culture shock because, um, cur- I mean, nowadays, if you look at California, America, there's just uh, so many diverse, so many diverse Asian American cultures, language support available. But back in 96, it only sounds, you know, not too long ago, but uh, there wasn't much uh, Korean American population, even in LA, in Glendale. I think in my classroom at the time, I was one of two Korean students, uh, ethnic Korean students, and we didn't have very many Asians. So I enrolled in ESL, English as second language, picked up the language uh, rather quickly, um, helped my parents. But now, fast forward to 2022. Uh, back where I grew up in Glendale, there's a lot of Korean supermarkets, Korean banks. If you call the local utilities, you can dial number two for Korean language support, which is amazing. I love that. And also, when I migrated from the Philippines to Toronto, Canada, I also had to take ESL classes. And this is like in the late 80s, early 90s. So way, way, way back. Um, but what was it like, you know, growing up here, right? Like growing up in the States, you know, especially you mentioned you were two of Korean students in your class. Did you ever feel like uh, you were left out or you felt like, you know, how come I didn't look like everybody else? You know, why did I look different? Because I know most most kids who migrate, you know, especially when there's no representation, we just feel like, you know, why don't I have blonde hair and blue eyes, right? Why can't I look a certain way? I just wanted to know about your your experience. So that what you just uh, touched upon is very important for me because that is one of the reasons why I'm doing the work that I'm doing today. Because although I quickly assimilated, I picked up the English language, uh, I became very much American, uh, but I was always seen as a perpetual foreigner. I felt like a perpetual foreigner. And even after... Uh, assimilating, uh, picking up the language and the culture and all the nuances that come with it and becoming a naturalized American citizen, uh, people still did not accept me into their different cohorts, different cliques and groups. And um, especially when I first came over in 96, people didn't even know 
uh, where South Korea or even the Korean Peninsula was on the map, nor when I said um, companies that we now know uh, so frequently like Samsung and Hyundai, people thought that were uh, Japanese companies. They did not know that was a Korean-made brand. Now, you know, K-pop is a huge thing, K-food, K-culture, uh, BTS, all of that has helped uh, fuel this uh, uh, proud um, pride in the Korean American community. So things have gotten much better, but it was it wasn't the same back in '96. Isn't that isn't that crazy though? Like you mentioned, '96 wasn't that long, but yet there was hardly any any representation. You know, we just felt like why why do we feel um, invisible, right? Why isn't there? anybody talking about our cultures or why are we all lumped up as one Asian group, right? Which is why we've been having such a high increase in the stop Asian hate movement, right? They just think we all come from China and that we're just a target because we're, we're responsible for COVID. Um, Even people in the Latin community have been uh, targeted as well because they've been mistaken for Asian, right? I remember last year, a 70 year old Mexican woman was beaten up in a bus Uh, in San Francisco because they thought she was Asian. And so it's crazy that we're still lumped as one group. We're still a monolith. And we, you know, it's important for us to create that representation to showcase like, you know, Asia is a huge country. There's like 49 different countries, different ethnicities, different languages. um, And we just got to go out there and and just keep educating more. So Stephen, I wanted to know a little bit about your career. I know you're in the nonprofit space. Was nonprofit work something you've always wanted to do? Was KYCC the first nonprofit you ever worked for, become a director? Uh, just love to hear about your, your journey. Sure. Um, after sort of going through that assimilation process of recognizing the need for representation, I, one of the first jobs I, I, I got, um, I enrolled in after my grad school, especially, was working for a political campaign. Um, Los Angeles has the largest Korean uh, diaspora in the country and also outside of Asia, but it took until 2015 to elect the first Korean American city council member and the second Asian, mind you. So uh, despite LA being so diverse and we celebrate that diversity, I mean, it's it's tragic that there has only been two or three uh, Asian American city council members. So I, you know, I worked on that historic campaign in 2015, where David Rue became the the second Asian and the first Korean American LA City Council member. So after that historic campaign, um, I wanted to continue in sort of the community work. So I became an executive director of uh, a a civic engagement nonprofit called Korean American Coalition, KAC, which is also based in Los Angeles. And at KAC, uh, my work involved a lot of uh, voter registration, civic engagement, student leadership work, Model UN, and other types of engagement. And I've been sort of building upon that. And after my work at KAC, I went back to sort of more of the government sector where I was a district director for an elected official for the state assembly for California. And then um, uh, about almost five years ago, I joined KYCC as the director of external affairs. Awesome. And, you know, what is your role in KYCC? You know, what is the mission for KYCC and why is it so important for you? Right. I know you you live in Koreatown and I know there's been 
um, a huge increase and in also in stop Asian, in the stop Asian hate crimes, right? Um, but yeah, I wanted to know what your role was in KYCC. Sure. So my role at KYCC is I'm one of the uh, one of the directors in the leadership role here at KYCC, and different nonprofits specialize in different types of services. Unlike my former um, employer, KYCC focuses on direct social services. It ranges from mental health counseling, after-school programming, preschool, drug treatment, environmental, affordable housing, and we have so much more. So we provide direct social services, and we were founded back in 1975. And at the time, it primarily focused on helping at-risk Korean-American youth who had nowhere else to turn after school. So we were, KYCC at the time was helping at-risk youth, but it has evolved over the years with the evolution of Koreatown, where Koreatown is not only of Korean Americans, but of Latinos, African-Americans, and others. So we serve just as many Koreans as was Korean Americans. And my role with the agency is making sure that we uh, send out, uh, disseminate information, so communications, social media, uh, government and external relationships, so that we bring in resources to continue the work that we do. So we, we've now, we've been very blessed to grow to a size of about 170 employees um, across uh, the greater Koreatown area, providing services to over um, uh, 10,000 people annually. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, it's it's these programs that are so needed, right? Especially when kids have nowhere to turn to or nowhere to go, or they feel like they can't ask for help. You guys are here providing that, right? What are some of the programs that uh, the kids get to do uh, in, in KYCC? So um, for the youth programming, I am very proud to talk about our preschool, Kids Town. Um, we, we have 72 kids enrolled ages two and a half to five. And I'm proud to say that we're the only um, sort of the preschool institution in the area to provide trilingual educational curriculum. So we teach our kids in English, Spanish, and Korean. So when you enter a facility, you not only see the diversity of LA, but also you hear that diversity of languages. And studies show that uh, kids of that age group are like the sponges where they just soak up all of that information. And when you have that base, um, later in life, you can pick up these languages much better. And also uh, we have a great after-school programming because um, although Koreatown has become a destination for foodies and entertainment and, and all the amenities that come with it, um, there are still many low-income families and kids out here. So we try to provide after-school tutoring mentorship programming, um, late night study programming. And then also we have a very robust um, environmental programming where we remove graffiti and we plant trees in the neighborhood. So many students get involved with that um, to volunteer their time and services. Awesome, I love that. I love that at such a young age, they can learn three languages, right? Um, being able to set that foundation. So, you know, when they grow up, you know, they just have more choices. They can. Uh, you know, there's just more opportunities for them, which is so important. Um, what have what have been some of your favorite moments working in KYCC? You know, like some maybe there was a child that you helped out that really just like um, it really changed them for the better. I'd love to hear some of the store like success stories that you've had. So back to our preschool, 
where it's called mm-hmm. Kidstown. Uh, we had a, a, a parent who had a, a child with some, some challenging disabilities. And um, she was, the mother was very hesitant about sending her, her son to our, 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 our facility, basically our preschool. And um, our Kidstown director was able to reassure the mom, said, you know, don't worry, we'll take good care of your son. And at the time when he enrolled at Kidstown, he was not able to speak and he was over the age of two. Uh, But after uh, some intense training and uh, very much love and care by our uh, loving teachers, the the student improved vastly where he not only improved his social skills, but he was able to uh, speak in simple languages and simple sentences and syntax. So that made the parent so happy, and he was able to graduate from Kidstown uh, as a very healthy uh, child and sort of move on to the next uh, level of education. And also something that made me very proud, and it's not a service that we provide, but at the height of anti-Asian hate, where we saw the tragic killings in Atlanta, um, there was a request Uh, from other API organizations, let's work together and really demonstrate a call to action. And KYCC was one of the two leading organizations putting a 2000 strong, uh, peaceful march and demonstration on Olympic Boulevard in Koreatown, um, where we were just shouting together in solidarity um, that, you know, enough is enough. Stop Asian hate. And that was a historic gathering where I don't think we've seen that many people gather for a protest of with um, AAPI issues in mind. And that was a very proud moment for me where I helped organize and um, galvanize the community, not only of AAPIs, but of African-American, Latinx, and other community members. Thank you so much for sharing those stories, Stephen, especially about the little boy, you know, who had a hard time speaking and their parents were a little bit hesitant to bring them, bring him into the center. I mean, I wish I had like KY, some, uh, an organization like KYCC help me at a time because I usually share that um, growing up in the Philippines, you know, when I went to kindergarten, I failed kindergarten for coloring outside the lines, right? Um, and it was hard because my I literally had to redo kindergarten all over again. I had to move to another school to redo kindergarten, all because I couldn't color one photo, one photo within the lines. Um, And, you know, things like that can really, you know, traumatize a child, right? It can make or break them. And that's why, you know, the work that you do is so important because now you've helped this kid, um, this child realize their potential. They become more confident. They realize, you know, they've been able to overcome these obstacles And, you know, they have the confidence to keep overcoming obstacles as life, you know, moves on, right? And also doing the march is so important to, you know, have our voice be heard, right? For so long, we've been told to never make any noise, never talk about your traumas, because that's what we've been told to do. But now we can't do that because literally our silence is literally killing us, right? Um, You know, even with the Atlanta shooting, it took forever for media to even say the victims' names, right? They kept you know, humanizing the shooter, saying he had a bad day (laughs) and things like that. And it's like, you know, this is this is not it. Like, because we've been seen by the model minority myth thinking just because we our ancestors endured all what happened, like, you know, in the 1900s and before time, uh, we're supposed to do the same thing, but we shouldn't. Right. Because look what it's happening now. Like 
Koreatown, right? Koreatown has had a, a huge rise in anti-Asian hate um, since then. Maybe elaborate a little bit what has happened because I don't think people are aware, right? As much like I wasn't aware Koreatown was it. There was a huge uptick. You know, I've seen a lot of crimes happening in New York and Oakland, but not Koreatown, right? Because nobody ever talks about it. So I'd love to hear from your your perspective since you're like in the heart of Koreatown. Sure. Uh, Koreatown um, has had its fair share of very high profile um, anti-Asian hate incidents and crimes. Um, and what's unfortunate about it is at the height of the march and the demonstration across the country, we saw a lot of coverage where you know, local media, social media, and everybody was amplifying the message. But fast forward to now, you know, we have less. And although the crimes have gone up consistently over time, we are not receiving the same level of um, resources and other assistance. But what's, what's been traumatizing here in Koreatown is that there has been a lot of brazen attacks during the day to uh, Korean seniors who are just waiting for a bus, um, they are punched in the face, they're pushed, um, and other um, young people as well, but particularly senior citizens have been uh, the, the most vulnerable in some of these heinous attacks that are happening. And they're just minding their own business. They're, there's, you know, they're not you know, going to aggravate uh, anybody. They're just minding our business, you know, going about walking down the sidewalk walking, uh, taking a stroll, waiting for the bus. But these incidents are consistently happening. And, um, you know, we are asking for more help, more people to amplify. But the other um, trouble that we're dealing with is that the community as a whole, just like you mentioned, where we're taught to be quiet, work hard, don't make all this ruckus noise. So, And we're still dealing with uh, a lot of underreporting of cases where, our police department or our elected officials or officials would come come to me and our association and be like, look, Steve, look, Stephen, you know, look, KYCC, uh, we don't see that many reports. We can only go by what's reported on the data. But you and I both know that that data does not accurately reflect the true number of victims. So that is something that we're also educating the community about, that no matter how small the incident you might feel, it's important that you report that data to the appropriate agency. Yeah, and I mean, it's so true. Now's the time to not stay silent. You know, I mean, now's, now's not the time to stay silent, right? We really got to speak up, especially for our elderly, especially when English is not their first language. You know, we need to have some some a translator at least, right, to be for them to be able to tell us what happened, right? That could be a reason why they don't want to report because it's it's like it's hard for them to, to say it in English because it's not their first language. Um, and also upbringing, right? I mean, especially with our older generation, they've been through hell and back, especially migrating from the U.S., uh, from, from Asia to the U.S., right? They had to go through so many different things, right? Whether it's uh, Japanese internment camps, Chinese Exclusion Act, you know, they went through so many traumas and thinking like they've already passed through that. And now their traumas are triggered again because of the Stop Asian Hate Movement, you know, being pushed in broad daylight, being punched. And it's unfortunate that our elderly is the target, right? Because they probably see, well, it's an old person. They're easier to target. They're not, they can't speak English, but it's, it's not right. I don't think any senior citizen should go through with that regardless of their cultural background. But of course, this hits 
closer to home, right? Because that could be my mother, my grandmother, my aunties. And I, you know, I would never want that to happen for them, right? And because um, sometimes too, when we report something, it's not even considered a hate crime, you know, because they're going to be like, well, the, the, the attacker had a mental health issue. Well, what about all the mental health issues that our community is facing because we're being attacked constantly? Nobody ever asks how we're doing. Nobody ever talks about the after effects when someone gets attacked for no apparent reason, right? Um, I remember there was an article, I think it, it was in Seattle or Portland, one of the two, um, but basically a father and a daughter were biking and they attacked the dad and the five-year-old daughter, right? A five-year-old daughter, like, what did she ever do? Nothing. She just wanted to bike with her father. And now she's going to be traumatized because somebody punched her just for being Asian. Um, so this is why I'm very, I'm very passionate about always, you know, lifting our voices, talking, dismantling negative stereotypes, because also those negative stereotypes is what also makes us an easy target, right? When we're called quiet and submissive and obedient, when we're called the model citizen, the model minority myth, all those things affect us. And I don't think people realize how much it does affect us and why we've become a target. Um, even here in Canada, you know, people think racism doesn't happen. And I'm like, yes, it does. It happens every day. We, you just might not hear about it because it's not reported. So um, what are some of the things are, that you guys have done to, you know, just bring more, more visibility to this important topic, right? Raising awareness to it, especially within the Koreatown community. Like I, I know you mentioned, it's very diverse, you know, our, it, our groups from all different cultures kind of working together, together in solidarity to fight this, this huge problem that we are still facing in Canada and America. Yes. So we've here at KYCC, we've engaged, uh, in a number of different different campaigns, from uh, PSAs to billboard campaigns. But uh, just to give you an example, that we've teamed up with Amazon Studios, uh, based here in Southern California, as part of the parent company Amazon in Seattle, where they've offered to give us a couple billboards that they will advertise different messages related to stop Asian hate. And we were able to uh, partner with Amazon Studios and create beautiful graphics that uh, basically uh, tells the public at large that, you know, we're Asian Americans, we're, we're the same. Um, we need to make sure that these attacks have to stop now. And we were able to do a big billboard campaign to alert the wider community in Southern California about the need for that messaging. So that was one thing that we're doing. And also what we're consistently following up is, as I mentioned, seniors are the vulnerable vulnerable population. So we've been giving out um, different whistles and different uh, um, warning system devices where the senior citizens can press or blow on the whistle to receive assistance. And there's been a large sort of organic movement within the Koreatown community to provide escort services for seniors, especially from younger folks. At late at night or the different hours of the day if he or she does not feel comfortable. I love that. I mean, you know, all those things help. Every little thing goes a long way, right? Especially the escorting, you know, our elderly. Because it's unfortunate that they're being attacked in broad daylight for no apparent reason. I mean, for me, like, I just want to cry because it's like, like I mentioned, it could happen to like my mom, my grandmother, my aunts, you know, my friend's closest parents. And People don't understand how much it's affected until it happens to someone close to them, right? 
but it's also our our job to just keep speaking out, to keep talking about it, to keep bringing awareness. So what are some uh, future projects that KYCC has uh, later in this year? Sure. So we are continuously um, trying to spread awareness and information. So right now on this topic, we are we are creating different types of flyers in language and also in English as well. And we are partnering with different banks, uh, whether they're mainstream, whether they're ethnic banks. And we're going to fly, we're flying at different bank branches to spread awareness. And also it's important that victims of hate uh, receive proper assistance and resources. And they need to be equipped with the information. So on that flyer, they will see different hotlines, different websites, different entities where they can reach out for help. So we are also doing that. And we're also trying to do different types of text message campaigns to continually spread the message because we didn't want it to be just a one time, just because the issue is hot, we go out and protest and that's it. But this needs to be a continuous campaign for everybody. Yeah, that's for sure. And you know, if anyone from Koreatown is listening to this episode, what's the one thing you would love to tell them? You know, uh, bystander training is something that everybody's trying to help is if you see someone that's being attacked, I think we all should step up and help. That doesn't mean you're going to go in there and fight. There are different ways that you can help without um, resorting to any types of violent behavior, right? And there's been so many cases where uh, victims are being targeted, but nobody around them is willing to help. So different types of bystander intervention training is happening, but also being that voice, being that um, good Samaritan, I think that is going to be key in ensuring that all of our seniors and other vulnerable populations stay safe. Thanks for sharing that. And one more thing, Stephen, um, if our listeners wanted to learn more about KYCC and how they can help or make a donation, uh, is there a website that they can check out? Yes. All of our handles are the same, whether it's website or social media. It's kycclaorg is our main website. And our social media, I think you'll get all of our updates is at KYCCLA on all of our, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook to Instagram, you can find us via KYCCLA. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And I really just want to thank Stephen today for joining us. To learn more about Stephen and this organization, please visit kyccla.org. If you have any questions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you would like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Shina Yap Chan. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until then, take care, everyone.